What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hi friends, welcome to episode 69 of the Asian Madness podcast. Yeah, 69, haha, funny. Anyway, hopefully everyone's doing great, eating healthy, staying active, and all the other adult things we are supposed to be doing. So next year's Crime Con will be at Las Vegas. The dates will be April 29 to May 1st. And yes, I will be there on podcast row. This is super exciting for me because I've been a huge fan since the beginning, and I've literally traveled from Taiwan to CrimeCon several times. My podcast is obviously a little baby bug compared to Generation Y and True Crime Garage and all those other big timers, but it's still extremely exciting for me. I figured a little diversity in true crime podcasts would be a good addition to CrimeCon since, you know crime is universal, and a lot of shit goes down in Asia anyway. If you're able to make it, I would love it if you could use my discount code MADNESS, and you could get 10% off your standard badge. If you have questions regarding CrimeCon and what it's like, feel free to message me and ask me. I'm just really excited to be able to participate in an event as a minority in the US, and also as someone who isn't even American. Okay, so enough about my achievements. Boring. Today's case is something I came across online a year or two ago. I had never heard of it, and once I learned of it, let's just say my day went from okay to not so great. Clearly, all murder cases are not great, but sometimes the details surrounding the case can really take it from bad to worse. And that's saying a lot. When you think of one of the worst cases ever, what do you think of? Furuta Junko? Linjun? Or maybe Fanman E from the infamous Hello Kitty murder case? Well, researching this case, the murder of Omomo Tamaki, was simply depressing. And here is my warning. This case will involve the murder and assault of a child. If this is something you wish to not hear about, go listen to something else and wait a couple more weeks for my next episode. If you're ready, though, let's begin. In case you don't know much about Japanese kids, they are actually extremely independent, especially when it comes to going to school and going out on their own to play. 
Japan is generally a very safe country. Yes, there are a lot of messed up people and weird crimes there, but overall it's still considered very safe and it is very common for children to go out on their own. Japanese children as young as seven or first graders are often seen taking the train, the bus, and walking to school and then back home on their own. Sometimes they travel with friends, sometimes a parent will accompany them, but if you see them out on your own, this tiny little human with a blocky backpack, barely tall enough to look out the window on the train, do not fret. It is absolutely normal. Taiwan is kind of similar in this sense, where elementary school kids usually just go out on their own without much adult supervision. Japan is a lot bigger though, and the train and bus lines seem pretty complicated to me, and rush hour on the train is an absolute nightmare. So props for those kids for having everything figured out. While most people consider this a good way for children to have some independence and get familiar with their surroundings, there are also bad people out there who use this as a way to take advantage of kids, whether it's molestation, abduction, you name it. I would say that things were a lot simpler back in the good old days where the internet wasn't as readily available. Meaning there were less opportunities for predators to prey on kids. So imagine parents trusting you and giving you full access to your own time, but you meet some weirdo on the internet who wants to hang out. Turns out they're a 40 year old dude pretending to be a 15 year old guy, and instead of hanging out, they abduct you. Just saying, internet access does complicate things a little bit. While some parents consider this a way to familiarize their children with being independent, there are others who are just borderline neglectful. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two, but if the parent has no idea what their kids are doing in school or after school, that's probably closer to neglect. So let's take a look at this little girl, Omomo Tamaki. Unfortunately, I don't have too much information on her personal background. What I do know is that in the year 2018, she was a seven year old girl, a second grader at Kobari Elementary School in Niigata City, in Niigata Prefecture, Japan. She had a very normal family life, living with her parents and her older brother, who was a fourth grader, and she was also very close to her grandfather. Tamaki was probably your average little girl, had friends at school, and was doted on by her family. She was fond of colorful things, loved to draw, and even told others that she wanted to become a designer when she grew up. All in all, the Omomo family was a normal family, living a normal life, and of course, never expected something awful to happen to them. But as we know, the wicked don't like to rest, and they're always on the prowl. The date was Monday, May 7th, 2018. Japan had just finished their week long holiday, also known as Golden Week. It's basically known as a historical and cultural holiday with a lot of festivities going on, and many people also take this time to do some traveling and visit friends and family. But on May 7th, it was back to school and back to work for everyone. Same goes for seven year old Tamaki. She went to school, did some learning, had fun with her friends. And then school finished at around 3 p.m. Tamaki would usually walk with her friends for a bit until they reached a crossroad. Then she would say goodbye to her friends 
and they would all go on their own way. Typical weekday stuff. Tamaki's walk home usually took less than half an hour, and it's not like she had any other plans that day, so when an hour or so passed and she still wasn't home, her mother realized something didn't seem right. She first called the school asking if her daughter was still there, and when the teachers heard Tamaki hadn't arrived home yet, they began to search the area around the school. Maybe she was with friends, maybe she stayed behind for whatever reason. When their search came up empty, Tamaki's mother notified the police and during the commotion, the neighbors also began to worry for little Tamaki. They began to help the Omomo family search for her, hoping she was maybe off somewhere with friends and maybe just forgot to tell her family. Many times you hear in true crime podcasts, when a child is missing for a couple hours, the police would sometimes brush it off as kids being kids. Maybe they just lost track of time or forgot to tell their parents they were playing with their friends. I mean, it happens, but not all the time. I don't really know how the Japanese officials are like, but it did seem like they took it seriously. Either way, though, it was too late. Nighttime rolled around, and Tamaki was still missing. Most people joined in on the search, which was probably more difficult now that it was dark. And knowing that it was late, some people probably were prepared for the worst. Eventually, at around 10.30pm, the worst was officially confirmed. Little Tamaki's body was found along the railroad tracks. Not just on the railroad tracks, but she had just been run over by a train. I'm assuming the train didn't realize the body of a tiny little human was there in time. So as soon as the train conductor realized what was happening... It was already too late, but they called it in as soon as possible. The police arrived at the scene immediately, and at first, it looked like maybe she was playing on the train tracks when the train came and ran over her. But upon closer investigation, things were not that simple. First of all, despite getting run over by a train, there was very little bleeding or blood around her. Then they found a lot of bruising on her face, which, if the train had hit her face, it would not be recognizable, but instead her face was actually intact with bruising. The rest of her body was actually pretty much still intact, and the police decided to bring her in for a formal autopsy. Turns out, the train didn't actually kill her. She had ligature marks around her neck, and her cause of death was actually suffocation or strangulation. Further inspection revealed that she had tear marks and bruising around her private parts, indicating that she had been sexually assaulted before she died. In other words, someone raped and strangled her, then put her body on the train tracks so a train would run her body over. Ultimately, it was a plan to cover up what the perpetrator did, trying to make it look like an accident. I gotta say, it's a cleverish plan in theory but not clever enough in practice. Yes, sorry, all that was a little bit graphic and quite depressing. It just seems even more vile because this was done to a young child, probably naive and unsuspecting of the evils of the world around her. So, where do we go from here? Who did this to her? And what really happened? There didn't seem to be any witnesses or anything out of the ordinary from the day Tamaki was taken and murdered. 
So the police began looking into people who had prior records or someone who could have done this, as in pedophiles. The way Tamaki was killed and handled sort of suggested that the perpetrator had done something similar in the past. Maybe not to the same degree as in rape and murder and cover-ups, but definitely someone who was on the radar and had experience with the sort. They questioned friends and family of Tamaki, hoping to see if she had talked about anything strange or if she had met anyone recently who might have done this. Turns out, one of Tamaki's friends told the police that Tamaki did have a scary encounter the same day she disappeared. On Monday morning when she was on her way to school, a man wearing all black and sunglasses had supposedly tried to follow her and even chase her. I don't know how sensitive little kids are when it comes to someone tailing them, but if that person was like, full on chasing them, yeah, they'd probably know something wasn't right. That would be really terrifying to an adult, let alone to a little kid. Once news got out that Tamaki was assaulted and brutally killed, parents around the area began to worry for their kids, and everyone was very shocked and disgusted. After her friends and classmates heard about what happened to her, these kids also began to show signs of anxiety and distress, which is really sad considering how young they are. About a week after Tamaki's murder, police managed to find someone who seemed like a likely suspect. A black car was seen on CCTV footage around Tamaki's usual route home, and the same car also showed up close to the train tracks on the evening of May 7th. Coincidence? Maybe. Police really had not much to go on, so they figured it would help to find this car, and if it was a coincidence, at least they could move on to other leads. The same car was spotted again on May 14th in a parking lot, and police immediately waited and approached the man who owned the car. His name is Kobayashi Haruka, a 23-year-old man who lived in the same neighborhood as the Omomo family. Not just in the same neighborhood. He lived like 100 meters away from them. In other words, it's extremely likely that he could have come across Tamaki many times, and vice versa. And while Tamaki may not have known who he was or even noticed him, he probably took notice of her, and a little bit too much, I would say. So who is this Kobayashi Haruka guy? Like I said, he lived with his family probably just a few houses down from the Omomo family, and when he was a kid, he attended the same elementary school as Tamaki. He was into science and tech since he was young, joining science clubs as a student and going on to high school for tech and science. After graduating from a technical vocational high school, he began working at an electrical construction company and has been at the same company since. So approximately six years? When the police questioned Haruka, he initially denied any involvement with Tamaki's murder. Eventually, though, he admitted to what he had done, but his version, not the version the police believed in. According to him, he had been driving around the time Tamaki was heading home, and he accidentally hit her with his car. He panicked, didn't know what to do, so he grabbed Tamaki and put her in his car. After accidentally hitting Tamaki with his car, Haruka told his employer that he was feeling sick and wouldn't be able to go into work that day. So the timeline sort of matches him taking time off work and Tamaki going missing. 
except Haruka kind of stopped going into work altogether after that day. Not sure why. Maybe it was his way of hiding, maybe he was feeling paranoid, or maybe he felt guilt. He drove around, not sure what to do, not sure whether to take her to a hospital or not. Tamaki was allegedly crying and screaming in his back seat, as one would do, and he panicked even more, and while trying to shut her up, he strangled her to death by accident. So many accidents. He swore he just wanted to make her pass out, but oh gee, who knew she would die? Well, that's not good. So he decided to leave her body on the train track so a train would run her over. I guess him hitting her with the car could explain some of her bruising, but none of what he said explained anything else, as in the ligature marks, her being sexually assaulted. I mean, come on, getting hit by a car doesn't do that to a person. He was pressed further by the police because clearly no one really believed him. Also, it might help to add, only a month prior to Tamaki's murder, Haruka drove around with a junior high school girl in his car. Not sure if he molested her or if he planned on doing something more sinister, but either way, he was charged for violating the Niigata Prefecture's Juvenile Protection Ordinance. Clearly, this man already had a record for being close to children in inappropriate ways. So it wasn't shocking that the police believe he was the guy and that he was lying about what happened. Haruka was then officially arrested for his confession, and of course, police weren't about to give up and accept his version just yet. After more interrogation sessions and presenting the facts and forensic evidence to Haruka, he gave up and admitted the truth to the police. He had been driving that afternoon on May 7th, and when he spotted Tamaki walking alone, he drove up behind her and hit her with his car. He dragged the little girl into his car where he began to sexually assault her, and once he was done, he realized it was probably too late to let her go. He also claimed that he was just trying to shut her up because she was making so much noise and ended up killing her by mistake. I believe it was always his plan to kill her, because what was he going to do? Let her go home so she can tell her parents and call the police? After strangling her to death, he waited around till it got late and took her to the train tracks between 10.20 and 10.30. The train that called it in passed by at 10.29, nine minutes after the previous train, which narrows the time she was left on the tracks between 10.20 and 10.30 p.m. So one question that Haruka didn't want to answer was this. What did he do between the time he killed Tamaki and the time he dumped her on the train tracks? Initially, he refused to answer. Didn't matter how they phrased the question, he would just say, I don't remember, or something lame like that. Police pressed him, and he finally gave in and told them what happened. After raping and killing Tamaki, he went to the store and got a bottle of lotion. He assumed the body would start to get stiff, so he decided to put lotion on the body to make it feel softer. At about 6.30pm, he drove back home, got a bucket of hot water, and drove to a nearby park. He washed Tamaki's body with hot water, not to get rid of his DNA, but to warm her body up a bit so he could sexually assault her corpse. 
Absolutely disgusting. He then waits, dumps her body on the track, proceeds to erase all his search history, and takes his car to get it deep cleaned the following day. Police still managed to retrieve his search history, though, and it was filled with searches about corpses, women corpses, love, sex, age, stalking, etc. Just really gross stuff. When news broke that they had apprehended Tamaki's killer, everyone was relieved, especially Tamaki's family, other little kids, and their parents. A lot of people who knew Kobayashi Haruka were extremely shocked, though. So what was he like as a person? It's one of those typical eye-roll-inducing stories you hear, where the neighbors, friends, co-workers all praise the murderer for always being a good guy, a good son, a good grandson, wouldn't hurt a fly. Of course, it's not their fault for seeing him as this kind of person, since this was the side he was showing people. It's clear that Haruka has multiple sides to him, and while most of us probably do as well, some of his sides are just a lot more extreme than others. He was said to have been a more serious kind of guy, very kind to people, quiet, quote, the last person to harm a child, end quote. All these good qualities. Well, then comes the trial for this monster. Tamaki's mother asked the court to give him the death sentence because... I don't think I need to explain why. She told the court that her daughter was intentionally run over, strangled, tortured, and left on the tracks so a train could run her over. He deserves to be put to death. Haruka's defense team, though, tried to explain his actions. And it's really sad and frustrating when you see defense lawyers do this. Because a part of me wonders if they really believe the shit that they say or if it's just a job for them, and they really hate the accused as well. They told the court that Haruka only tried to keep the girl quiet, to make her pass out, and that he had no intent to kill. They also said that this was not a premeditated crime, so everything was just an accident. As for the sexual acts, they said that Haruka clearly suffers from some sort of sexual disorder, so it technically, again, isn't his fault that he did this. He really just couldn't help himself. It's really shocking, and I would be even more surprised if the court bought into these excuses and lies. On December 4th, the court handed down his sentence. Although Kobayashi Haruka had intent to kill and followed through with it, there is no evidence showing that it was premeditated. Somehow the court also didn't find the crime exceptionally cruel, so they were unable to hand down the death sentence. The defense team asked for 10 years, but the court ended up sentencing him to life in prison. He will probably be eligible for parole, though, in 10 years or so. How do you feel about his sentence? Too much? Too little? Prior to committing his crime, Haruka had admitted to some friends that he had a Lolita complex, or what they call Rorikon. This is basically a nicer-looking word for someone who's pretty much a pedophile. The word Lolita comes from the novel Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov, and then you add complex but simplify it to com. The whole Lolita complex is a problem in many parts of the world, especially in Japan. You can see this hypersexualization of young-looking women or girls. 
in mangas and animes. Sometimes it's not necessarily an underage girl, but an adult woman who intentionally makes herself look like a young girl. Asian women in general already look young, and you add in that baby doll dress style with those innocent looking facial expressions. Just saying. A lot of dudes are into that look, and it isn't really considered criminal or weird. The worst ones are when the girls are depicted as super young but somehow have ginormous breasts. Nowadays, though, I believe people are starting to see how it can be harmful, but in general, it still seems very prevalent. There's technically nothing wrong with having young girls as anime or manga characters, but it's the whole sexualizing and fetishizing and obsession that makes it a problem. And especially more so when you apply it in real life. Something else kind of interesting about this case is a person named Yamazaki Kazumi. Kazumi is a fortune teller slash psychic who can be found on Twitter most of the time. Their real identity is unknown and they prefer to keep it that way. Around the same time Tamaki went missing, Kazumi tweeted about needing more information in order to come up with a vision. Tamaki's photo hadn't been shown on TV yet, so I guess Kazumi needed more inspiration. A day later, Kazumi tweeted about a man with narrow eyes wearing glasses or contact lenses as possibly being the murderer. After this tweet came out, the news reported what Tamaki had told her friend, where a man wearing sunglasses had been chasing her when she was headed to school. Hmm. Okay. So the glasses part matched up, but then again, tons of people wear glasses or contact lenses, right? A couple days later, Kazumi tweeted again, stating that the criminal they're looking for is possibly wearing work trousers, most likely those that men wear in factories or construction sites. I know this sounds probably useless to most of you, but what are your thoughts on these psychics who can supposedly see visions about the crime or the criminal? Do you think it's real, or are they just trying to get attention? Or do they genuinely think they're psychic and they're just trying to help? A very well-known psychic in America is Sylvia Brown, but a lot of people in the true crime community find her awful. She has made countless appearances on TV and with family members who are looking for their missing loved ones, and so many times her visions have turned up completely false. For example, in the case of a missing six-year-old, she told family members that the girl had been abducted and sold into slavery in Japan. But, turns out, the girl was abducted by a local dude who killed her hours after kidnapping her. Imagine giving out false hope to family members, or imagine telling them their loved ones died a horrible death only to have the missing person show up unharmed. What are your thoughts? So there you have it, the disgusting and awful murder of a young girl who had so much to look forward to. We are always hearing about new and depraved crimes probably daily, but there will always be a case or two that truly ends up shocking us even more than usual. I really don't expect the Omomo family to find peace or forgiveness, at least not yet. It's barely been two years since Tamaki was taken away from them. And knowing that the murderer never showed any signs of remorse probably makes it so much easier to carry that hate with them. I hope Kobayashi Haruka doesn't get out, ever. If he does, 
It may only be a matter of time until another young girl falls into his depraved hands. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to this episode. I was very disturbed when researching the details, and hopefully this doesn't give you nightmares. This world is scary, so if you have children, please keep them safe. But most importantly, don't go around causing them harm. Let them grow up and live a normal life. Please be safe, and please take care. Till next time. And before I go, I would like to thank my newest Patreon supporter, Ginny Slana. And for my reviews, uh, Mick Bulgakov from Poland and Ginny Rose 1991 from the US. I assume it's the same Ginny that is my Patreon supporter. And if that is correct, thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.